Hello everyone, I am Brennan Sahajan and I attend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met. And I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my bar. It was an honor to have my guest today on the podcast. He has been a regular at the Manitou Tap House for as long as I have been working there. A former professor at Eastern Washington University and Gonzaga University, published many times over, a staff writer for the Inlander, the deepest distributed independent local free paper in the United States, as he told me, and he has worked there longer than anyone else on staff. A former dog sled racer and a proud father and husband, sadly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and is being affected daily. It was such a pleasure to have him on the show. Please enjoy the endless storyteller and personal friend of mine, Bob Harold. No, am I supposed to speak into this? Well, you can just talk and he'll pick it up. Oh, okay. We're already recording, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah, it's a great way to start. Um, I First and foremost, I say this to everyone because it's true. I Thank you very much for being here. I appreciate your time. And I, I realize that time is valuable, so I appreciate it, Bob. Um, and I'm just, you didn't look at the questions. I'll just ask you a series. I don't know what the questions are. You're about to find out. <laughs> I think it's going to go much better when it's impromptu because you are such a wealth of information. Uh, so the first question, and actually all of them are kind of philosophical, so it's a little different than what you normally talk okay. about. <laughs> the first one is, who are you and what led you to be that person? Who am I? Yeah. I'm 81. Okay. Male. <laughs> reasonably well educated. I think way more than that, but okay. Uh, um, married. One child from the second marriage. Four from the first. Oh, they're all gone. But that doesn't get at your question. The no, question is what you're looking doesn't. for is who really am I? I mean, yeah. what does that what does that what does that mean? Um, and that's a tough one because I'll tell you why. Uh, I have I'm learning more and more about myself as I get older and older. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I doubt that that's unique. My, my guess is most people do. I kind of think that's what life is all about. And and I'm I'm um, there's certain things about me that I that I never knew existed, and there are others that were there but were hidden in the in the last several years that sort of bubbled to the surface. Um, who am I? And I, and I and I and I think part of part of the answer to that question, why it's so complicated, is because everybody. I think as they go through life, probably change who they are. I sure hope so. Well, don't you think they do? One hundred percent. And uh, the, I, I'm not the same person as I was twenty years ago. I agree. 
um, not the same person I was 15 years ago. And so, in answering to your, the, the, the answer to your question is a question that really can't be answered. I can tell you what I think, where I think I am today, and I can kind of think, oh, and, and one other thing, factor, and you need to factor this in, we both do. One is that, that my mind mm-hmm. isn't what it was 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think as quickly. I, I, I will, I will uh, I, well, just the other day, I, I was uh, having trouble. See, if, if you have Parkinson's, one, one of the things that you learn is that um, your short-term memory is the problem. Hmm. Your long-term memory is intact. I can tell you what happened in San Diego, California during World War II yeah. on Nautilus Street. I can, tell, I can take you through that. I can take you through exactly those years that we spent there during World War II. My father was out in the Pacific. Um, I have that down to I can, I have that down in great detail, mm-hmm. and and there's been nothing happened to me that has made any of that detail uh, fog over. Uh, case in point, oh, we also lived at Bear Island Naval Shipyard, which is at San Francisco Bay Area, and part of the story that I'm about to t- tell you refers to that time in my life, which was in the early 50s, but that, that time in my life, uh, I was learning how to play golf. Mm-hmm. And the way that, why this is important to answer your general question <clears throat> is that I've really taken a liking to the singer Taylor Swift. No kidding. Oh, I think she's great. Did you watch the Netflix special? Yes, and I did. I think she's wonderful. She, she, and and and, with, and before her, it was Lady Gaga. The mm. two of them, and apparently they're good friends. Um, hmm. But I think I think Taylor Swift is the real deal, and I and I so I, but I couldn't remember her name. Mm. I mean, honest to Pete, I, I I you could tell me her name, and. 30 seconds later, I couldn't remember. Wow. Now, is that the Parkinson's? Probably. 30 seconds later, I couldn't remember. And I'm, and I'm struggling with, because it drove me nuts. I kept asking my wife, what's her name? And Bear was getting a little annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need to know that? Well, I just do. But then I hit on a, 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 a key. The key is to, to play to the strengths that I have left, which is my long-term memory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So did I know anybody with a name that could help me remember Taylor Swift? And I spent some time thinking about that, going way back, way, way back. I went all the way back to Mare Island. We were there in 51, 52, 53, 54. Ah, 
That's when I learned to, that's when I took my first golf lessons. And the head pro at Mare Island, the golf, there's a golf course at Mare Island. It's the oldest course west of the Mississippi. Hmm. The head pro was named Don Taylor. And once I got Don Taylor, Taylor Swift is in, embedded. It's locked in. Ah. It's locked. It's locked in. I'm having no trouble with it. I because that's the that's the key. Yeah. But that 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 gets in a roundabout way to your question. Who who am I? I, I am somebody with a short term memory problem. Hmm. But. I've still got enough wits about me to try to find keys. Yeah. To get in, inside there. And the key is to use my long-term memory to solve a short-term memory problem. And in this particular case, once I got John Don Taylor, Taylor Swift, I've not I've not had another problem with that. Awesome. And so 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 as you go through life, you're probably it, it's hard to answer your question because you're changing all the time. Yeah. I'm not the same person probably I was before the Parkinson's hit. Oh, yeah. I'm quite sure I was. Most definitely. Uh, but uh, you can lead. You can answer what led to oh, being yeah. that person. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 if, you, if, you, if you want to me to t- talk to you about World War II... I, I've, I've had lots of conversations with you about World yeah, War II. I'm an expert. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... I I'm better than John Welchelli any, any day in the week. You got that right. <laughs> well, yeah. I, gosh, we had that big conversation about yeah. Roosevelt and yeah. and, Will, and uh, yeah Truman and oh yeah, and I know my, all about those my, years. My hatred for Truman. I know all about those years. Um, I've been to where Harry lived in in, uh, in Missouri. He never left. They never left their house. They never. Left their house, hmm. but but anyway, I uh, the, so the reason I'm having trouble answering your question is because I'm not the same person that I was even ten years ago. Yeah, and I'm not to say I wasn't the same person ten years ago as I was fifteen years before that, or fifteen years before that. That in fact is why I'm asking this question because I want people to realize that, and I I mean I thought of it in the first place because who I am is most definitely not the person that I was 10 years ago. Well, just you meeting Jenny probably changed who you were. In- incredibly, yeah. Right, and then you're a father, another one. Multi- were, yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> with me, I had four children from a previous marriage, mm-hmm. and uh, it, was a, it was a mistake to, for to me to marry her to begin with, mm-hmm. uh, but it lasted 20 years. Um, I'm pretty close to, uh, I mean, David is 60, he's in his 60s now, and he's a caddy at Pebble Beach, and, I, and I'm close to him, and, and he's got a woman he lives with who's wonderful, she's an El Salvadorian. Um, Ooh, yummy food. Oh, Sylvia's just a piece of work. As a matter of fact, she saved me last year. Sylvia. This gal, they've lived together for, I don't know, 15, maybe longer than that. And she's delightful. Um, but she, what she does is, they live in the, they live uh, just outside of Monterey. Mm-hmm. 
the Monterey, Monterey has a Goodwill store. Oh, you told me about this. Absolutely. And Sylvia's got this down. This gal, this gal will go from Monterey, she'll go shopping walk, at Monterey. Walk out with Dolce Gabbana. Then, well, then what she does is she brings it all home, and then she immediately goes on Craigslist and quadruples the cost of it. That's, <laughs> and so she gave brilliant. me all this stuff. I, she got me through the winter. She's lovely. I, I went, we went to the U.S. Open together, and I really love her. Nice, really nice. And then David, she's been with David for a lot of years. So, you know, uh, uh, that, that's been a relationship that's tight. I've got two other, two girls, both are still very active in the Mormon church, mm. which I'm pretty reasonably close to both of them. Oh, that's why your daughter never drinks when she comes to the bar. Valerie? Yeah. That's why. Oh. Ah. Yeah. Bing! Now, okay. Valerie is a nurse. Yeah. Uh, she She's a nurse out in uh, Spokane, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the center out there. And she's, you know, she did her nurse's training down here. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Ah, makes sense. Okay. She, I'll tell you a story about Valerie. When my parents died, Mm-hmm. Both my parents died within a couple of years, mm-hmm. and my father died first. We weren't; we, he was in the hospital at uh, in uh, California, and we got a call and we got there, and he he'd gone by the time we we got there. But but my mother outlived him by ten years, eight years, anyway. And when she got a little addled in the brain, me and my brothers moved her into a, uh, a rest home for elderly people mm-hmm. that was run by the Navy. And that was the thing, and my dad was a career naval officer. So she was back there, and then she got progressively weaker and sicker. And Well, well <laughs> I get called, you've got to come back, Ma's... And, and, and you know how this works. And Valerie has told me, Dad, old people die because they get, catch a cold. And Sometimes. Yeah, often. Yeah. And that, that's what happened to uh, my mother. And, and so you, they, they, you, they went through the, the routine of using antibiotics a couple of times. Yeah. But then John, who was... My youngest brother, he was the one that was in charge. He and the doctors met, and they decided that the next time this happens, they weren't going to give her anything but water. Mm. She was on her own. But then I have another brother who is a very, very conservative Catholic. Pain in the ass. <laughs> and so he's back there. And, and when my mother got sick again, you know, so we're I, we're in the hospital. Yeah. We're in the hospital. Me, my other brother, and we figure we need some help to be walked through this. What this event that's slowly happening? Who better to do it than Valerie, my nurse, nurse oh, who lives yeah. out here? But we had got her on the phone, <clears throat> and she's explaining to us every minute of this, my mother's demise. 
she keeps saying has the has the modeling started i don't even didn't even know what that was well half the, the veins start to pop out you start oh. to see these you start to see the veins on both sides and that's where it starts and, and then it works its way up and she she was and so we say no it looks like we and valerie said well this isn't normal this this is how this works and it's going to work its way up well my brother jim the catholic he wanted us to keep her alive mm -hmm. and so he's leaning over and ma come on ma you can do it and valerie finally out in cheney she's on the phone she says she hears this and she says dad put uncle jim on the phone she says, Uncle Jim, leave her alone. Don't you understand this is how old people die. This is what happens. They catch a cold and, and, they, and, and leave her alone. You're, you're causing her trouble. And so we went through that for several. <laughs> I'll never forget that scene though. My brother, oh, you can do it. And Jim showed that way. Uncle Jim. What? So anyway. You know, there's. You ask who anybody is, and I think depending upon where you want to, want to fit your uh, uh, life story, mm -hmm. you're going to get many different answers. That's my own thing, feeling on this. Oh, of course. And again, that's that is why I asked this question because essentially, it could take like however long you want to take it to answer the question you sure know? you could it, it can be really shallow and say this is who i th think i am this is what i hear inside my head this I is grew who this up person in a is. very racist sexist family mm. whoa yeah my father and 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 it's interesting after all of these years <clears throat> uh I'm still, I'm still wrestling with that. Wow. Uh, in a way, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not wrestling with, the, with the fact that, I, I. I finally, I didn't really know what black people were going through. Mm -hmm. And I was certainly wasn't going to learn from my father. Mm -hmm. But, but when I was in high school. Washington Lee High School in Arlington, Virginia. I took, I got a summer job at Washington Golf and Country Club as a caddy. Mm -hmm. And the country club had a, a caddy shack. The tee was up here, there was a hill that went down to the caddy shack, and that's where the caddies formulated. And then they had a, they had a, they had a, uh, this caddy master, um, little twerp, <laughs> nasty little twerp. <clears throat> and so, this was the first time in my life that I'd spent any time at all around, because all the other caddies were black guys, mm -hmm. and they were living up in Paul's Hill, which wasn't too far away. I'm sure that changed your perspective. Changed my perspective immensely because I'd never been treated like this before. <clears throat> uh, Brett Wood was his name. How do I remember that? can't remember the last week, but I, his name was Brett Wood. Mm -hmm. and, and what he would do, because he'd decide who, who you're going to caddy for. Oh, okay. And so 
what the what the guy would do, and all these guys were pitching pennies between and hoping they get chosen, and you know, I was just there as a summer job for me, but for them it was their little livelihood. And it's the first time in, in, in my life that I ever experienced what these guys were experiencing every day. So we would be down there pitching pennies and doing what you do, and, and Woods, Woods known, he had gnome-like figure. Gnome, was just, and he would appear he would appear on top of the hill, overlooking. Has us, to be on the us, hill because he's so small. <laughs> down, down below, and so there'd be all of us down there, and it reminded me of the goldfish down at the pond, who were looking for food. There was this. <laughs> he'd 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 show up, right, and 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 I remember him. He'd. He'd look around. He'd just look, look, look over, and, and he would s- survey the caddies. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't say a word. Wouldn't even recognize our humanity. Jeez. He would just look, and then he would go. And that meant you had the job. You had one of the jobs, and then he'd do a second one because you know, you'd have two caddies for. Him. And I thought, how demeaning. And these, these poor guys were putting up with that shit every single day of their life. There was no seniority involved or anything? No. Wow. It was just who Brett Wood wanted to pick. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And so, so events like that were very life-changing to me. But, 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 but if you ask me, my father, my father so indoctrinated. The other, other thing was his anti-Semitism. Oh, jeez. That was rabid. In fact, it was so bad that when I was a senior in high school in Vallejo, Vallejo, California, where my dad was stationed on the shipyard, uh, I, we, uh, I had a friend in class, Larry Stern, mm-hmm. nicest guy. He was a student. Same class I was. We were... I did the 10th, 11th grade there before we moved back to Virginia. So Larry invites me up to his house after, after, after class one day. And that's great. Um, I could whip at home anyway. And so I, I'm walking with Larry and he, we walk to his house. He takes me inside the house and perfectly nice house. Get to the get to the uh, fireplace, yeah. and there's a star of David. Uh-huh. He's Jewish. Uh-huh. It made me visibly ill seeing that star of David. That's how that's how bad it was. Wow. Yeah, I was visibly ill, and 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 I remember getting out of there. And I think back at that today, and I think, my God, you know, that was so sick. And I, and but that that's those sorts of things of one way or another, for good or ill, during your formative period. I'm convinced, with your parents, there's going to be stamps made, and you and it would be, it could be even be in your subconscious. Yeah. 
Now, I've worked very hard over the years to get beyond that. Um, the funny thing about it is that I ended up marrying Sonia, who was a Mormon, mm -hmm. in part because, she, and this is going to sound really stupid, it is stupid, I married her because she was good at math. Okay. Because my father always thought I was bad at math. Mm -hmm. And he thought the social sciences were just fun and games. And so I got nowhere with him because I was good at social studies or English. Yeah. And I was not any good at math, so I got nowhere, no, 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 I didn't get any, anywhere with him. But Sonia, who I ended up marrying, was really good at math. But what I didn't understand about my dad all those years was that some of what he was doing was a show. Uh, the fact of the matter is, one of the reasons he really liked Barry, who I ended up marrying when he, he adored her. Mm -hmm. She has a good sense, she has a really good sense of humor, and she's very literate. Sonia had no sense of humor, and my father didn't give her the time of day. She, she had no sense of humor, and my father told me, he said, I don't do well with people without a sense of humor. My first wife had no sense of humor. No. Wow, interesting. And so... She was very logical with math? Yes, yeah, she graduated from Eastern, and, and she was the tennis coach out there for probably 10, year, 20 or 10 or 12 years. Hmm. She was a twin. Uh, both, she had a nervous breakdown at one time. Her sister later followed her. There was a family with a lot of problems. And, and, and so, the, but because she wasn't literate, because she, the, the very things that I thought would please my father about me getting involved with Sonia were things that he didn't value at all, it turns out. Mm. Barry is hardly a mathematician, but she's read, she's, she's extremely well read and, and, she's, and she has a good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. He adored her. And so I went through all of those years, Brennan, one, I was I was swinging I was swinging at shadows. But at the same time, I was dealing with somebody who had told who had indoctrinated me so much that I almost threw up when I found out my friend was Jewish. My gosh. Yeah. Now, I think, and because of because of the fact that long term memory sticks with you. Yeah. Uh, have I, am I still being influenced by that? I'm influenced with it enough I can sit here with you tonight and tell you the story about it. I'm that, it's, it's that indelible. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't answer your question. It doesn't answer your question, who am I? It tells you something about the journey I've taken. Yeah. Um, oh, that, that really is the most important part, I think. Well, for me it is. I, I don't think you can get far much beyond it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, 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 uh, I'm a storyteller. I always have been a storyteller. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm happy with being a storyteller. Me too. <laughs> <clears throat> well, actually, I, I, I mean, I think, I think that all of that is a perfect answer. 
Um, I think you answered it well. Um, yeah, I mean, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't leave anything out. I and and I and I appreciate that you thought about the question seriously and how somebody Im- told impossible me it is to answer. Somebody, <clears throat> some like one of your people that I interviewed. Yeah, probably and, Peter. And <laughs> Peter was the one who told me. Of course. Yeah. And by the way, he, Peter is a storyteller. Yes, he is. And so is John. John is a storyteller. Who is yet? I haven't. I haven't had him on John. yet. He's coming soon. So. So I. I, I don't know if uh, there are other ways of answering that question. No, of course there are, but not, but if, not for you. But if that, <laughs> if, if that, if that's good enough for you, then we'll move on. I think that is a perfect answer. So. The next question is, uh, well, it takes a little different direction. Um, what is worth dying for? And does any cause hold enough weight anymore? Trump's latest as he's commuting the sentences of these all of these crooks that have been convicted and sentenced in seven to nine years, and he's apparently and 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 the FBI people that are involved in this are walking. They lost like seven of his. Fuck you, we're out. Wow. Um, Man. Well, the answer to that question, I think, is certainly. It's not just time dependent; it's situational dependent. You know, my my I, I come out of the World War II generation. Right. My father's ship was hit by kamikazes twice. Wow. Um, I've got the photos to prove it. Um, I knew uh, a lot of his friends, uh, particularly the submariners. Mm-hmm. So was what they did worth it? Uh, I would say yes. And so I, I think there's certain things that there's this documentary on. There's this documentary you can get on Netflix. It's about the Spitfire mm-hmm. during World War Two, mm-hmm. and it, it takes you through the bombing of Britain, and it takes you through what that plane meant to them and what it did, and and it's. And it's and those guys, you know, they were in their early twenties and were flying those Spitfires against the against the German uh, plane. That that is such a different, gosh, such a different paradigm, though, don't you think? I mean, and that's why I asked like the second part of this question: like, does anything now hold any? Wait, like well, that I think anymore. that that's a really good question, and I and I, th- and I think we don't know the answer to that. I mean, what's happened is I, it, and it's just a guess on my part, but I think what's happened is that this country had, had, in World War II, um, and partly partly because of indoctrination, I suppose, partly because of um, personal experiences. 
uh, was what my dad did in World War II worth it? I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 I was involved in the, the, the in that war. You, you got to understand that the that the civilians were involved. Yeah. I was involved in tin drives and newspaper drives, and I was. And not only that, but I was almost captured by Japanese. Well, <laughs> I wasn't, but I thought so at the time. <laughs> I was panicked. I knew I was going to be. <laughs> we, uh, well, we, this is how this is how close it was. I mean, I mean, I mean, there were I like Ike signs all over the place, so there, and 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 the and the troops come in, but my my family because. My dad, being a naval officer, and and it, it, he was there for probably the whole, whole thing. Uh, we, the, and my dad was a naval academy graduate, mm-hmm. and so it's it's not like you know he didn't know anybody. He, those graduates, and their wives, uh, stayed together, and in, 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 in an interesting way, and and so. So when, when one of them died, and there were a lot of, particularly the submariners and pilots who did, uh, we'd feel it at home. And so I was never far away from uh, the impact. The impact of that. It was indirect, but but uh, it was it was certainly it was certainly there. And I was not very old. Did you, you know I I was so much caught up in World War Two. Well, I'll tell you the story about the Japanese almost taking you back to Japan on a submarine. <laughs> that, oh. That's a classic. Okay. Well, <clears throat> my, we, only, we were only a block away from the ocean. Mm-hmm. Our house was at the end of Nautilus Street. In fact, it wasn't even a block. It was like a half a block. Yeah. And you'd walk down, there'd be the water, ocean drive, and then there was steps that went down to the... Yeah. the beach mm-hmm. and so I was never supposed to go down there because there was a very bad riptide which of course meant that I was always going down there. <laughs> my dad was gone we only saw him uh, once for a short period of time from 40, 42 to 44 42 to 45 wow um, so but you're but you're but you're being bombarded with the uh, and the Japanese were being dealt with in a particularly terrible way. Yes, they were. I mean, I mean, all the movies. Every single Japanese person that was in any movie I saw during that period had thick glasses and buck teeth. Of course. Every single one. Like Mickey Rooney. Yeah, and and so so you're you're being indoctrinated but to, to, but to be fair about it they were doing the same thing to their people about us yeah that's why all those people died in Okinawa Okinawa because they jumped off those cliffs because they'd been told that Americans were going to do terrible things to them and that's why they jumped off those cliffs but we were doing it and so if you're a kid in La Jolla California uh, right next to San Diego during World War II you know, you're in the middle of this stuff. So, so I, I, so I'd go down to the beach. My mother didn't want us to, and but that didn't matter. I'd go down to the beach. And uh, one day I'm down there, and I find this dead pelican, mm-hmm. and uh, I became friends with it. And so for the next several days, I'd be dragging this dead pelican. It was starting to get a little smelly. I remember that. 
dead pelican around it. And, and you know, the, the California, uh, the ice plant down there is very thick. And so there was an ice plant coming down from the top of the hill. And then there was a, the steps. Steps are still there. They're, they're concrete now, but they're still the same steps. <laughs> so, so I'm down there one night. I wasn't supposed to be there. The sun's going down. Tide's coming in. And I'm t pulling my dead pelican with me <laughs> down the beach. And I look up. Holy cow! Japs! <laughs> and there's about four Japanese men who appeared over the bluff and, and they started down the steps. And I thought, oh my God. They're here to rendezvous with a submarine. That's got to be it. And if they spot me, they're going to capture me and take me back to Japan. So I took the pelican and I dove into the ice plant and I got as deep as I could in the ice plant. And... Uh, and uh, they came down the steps and did something. I don't know. I still think they were there to rendezvous with the submarine. But, but, but I was so scared. I, I just knew that the Japs were going to take me back to Japan. And, and, and so, so, so those years were in Dome. By, uh, they, something else that people don't, not very many people know, but... Um, Sandy, La Jolla is right on the water, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so we went to the, there's a particular beach in La Jolla called, it's, it's called, back then it was called just a family beach. I, I don't know what it's called now, but it hasn't changed much. And there was a breakwater out. And so we would go there a lot. My mother would take us and me and John, Jim and, and other moms would be there and and, uh, well, all up and down the coast, from San Diego up, there were anti-aircraft gun emplacements. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. And so, 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 almost on a daily basis, you'd see a target plane towing the target. And as it would come by, he would come by, and those anti-aircraft guns would open up on that target plane. And they're right here, Brandon. They were, and it was boom, boom. Well, if you're a kid, if you're a six-year-old kid, this is big stuff. Oh, yeah. It is it is so <laughs> amazing. And and those, those, those gun emplacements went up the coast. I mean, they had anti-aircraft gun emplacements everywhere. So my, my memories of World War II... Uh, include all this stuff. It includes the Japanese taking me back to Japan. <laughs> it includes my father. We would hear, we, we heard about the New Mexico being hit by kamikaze. It was hit by a kamikaze uh, at the Battle of the Philippine Sea and then again at, 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 at Okinawa. Yeah. And uh, I've got photos of how many, I mean, it was a gross. So all of that's in your mind. I mean, it, it doesn't go away. And I don't think that is indelible. I mean, that, that's part of who I am. That experience, you know, I, I don't rationalize it anymore, but it's there, and I, and I think, my God, you know, uh, it was it was an amazing, it was an amazing uh, time to be a little kid. I'll tell you. Yeah. For because sure. because and and of course you had the you had the you had the signs everywhere about you know 
they're looking for money to fight the war and and I, Eisenhower's on all the, you know, every, every, every post office department has a post office and a picture of Ike. Yeah. Um, well, those, those years to me, uh, from I would have been five, five to seven, mm-hmm. they're here. They're just part of, and they're in my conscious. It's, it's, and I, my memory of them is very, very clear. I, 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 well, anyway, the, uh, they, they had a, there was a radio program back in those days that all of us listened to. Um, it was about Sergeant <laughs> Preston. Sergeant Preston of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It was on the radio. Nobody had television back then. And Sergeant Preston had a dog team. And he would use the dog team and he would chase down these Nazi spies in Canada. And his lead dog was named King. And so the line was, on King, on you Huskies. And it was classic. I'd watch, listen to Sergeant Preston all the time, you know. Uh, everybody did, I think. I don't know. But, but you know, that's... Did that spark your fire for Oh, dog, yeah, dog right. Racing? Absolutely. It was... <clears throat> it was uh, so, anyway, we, we're, we live on Nautilus Street, right? And two doors up, true story, so I'm like five, mm-hmm. two doors up. There was this very reclusive couple. Mm-hmm. And me and my patriotic friends, we decided, be clued into all this because of Sergeant Preston, <laughs> that they were not, that they were German spies. Naturally. So we started. <clears throat> really checking them out, you know, and uh, they 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 were very reclusive, you know, and we we figured out that's the reason why. We were per, we were pretty sure that what they had was a, a shortwave radio, that they were sending messages to Japanese submarines beep, just beep, off beep, the coast. Yeah, beep, beep, we were pretty beep, sure beep. that was going on. <laughs> so me and a couple of my friends, we decided that we needed to break into their house. Oh boy! And find that shortwave radio that we were pretty sure was there. So so we wait one day and they drive away. Ha! Our chance. <laughs> so we actually, we actually, uh, we're six-year-old boys. We actually broke into this house, broke in, in search of the shortwave radio. Never found a shortwave radio. The only thing we found was, and I remember this after all these years, was uh, an open peanut butter jar in the kitchen. Uh, we were pretty sure that if we had stayed around. But those sorts of things, it's when you ask somebody who they are, I, I'm sure that everybody has some sort of imprint, in, implant, don't you think? Of course. And, 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 and some of it's, some of it is, uh, some of it makes for good storytelling. This well, does, I well, think, for me, and for me, I, I've, I'm still chuckling at Chuck Sergeant Preston and the Royal Canadian Million Police. And the story I tell about the Japanese spies wanting to take me back to Tokyo, that's real. To me, all of that was very real. And the anti-aircraft guns firing, I mean, this is great stuff. Yeah. Wow. And then, if you jump ahead 20, 25 years, I'm back in D.C., I'm... Vietnam's breaking out. I'm trying to, well, I, I wasn't, I had, you know, that's interesting about that because uh, 
I had very little to do. I, 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 I was working for the Navy during the Vietnam War. And the Navy really wasn't that involved with it. Um, at least in my memory. Mm -hmm. um, the Army and the Marine, well the Marine Corps was of course. Yeah. Navy had the Marine Corps. Well, that definitely wasn't worth dying for. Absolutely not. It was terrible. It was terrible what we did to the, the, the Vietnamese. Where were you when the My Lai Massacre was discovered? I'm not that old. Well, I remember it and I was just gasping. I don't know why that guy Callie wasn't offed. I mean, can you imagine hmm. allowing his guys, turning them loose on unarmed farmers and murdering, what was it, 100, 110 or... I don't know, actually. It's closer to 200, I think. That made the that made the Malmody massacre pale in significance to what they did to those uh, those Vietnamese farmers, and so that's who they were. Yeah. Yeah, there there was that the Korean War. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's that all of that has been all of that has imprinted on my mind for sure. All those years is still there, for better or worse, and, and and I don't know what to say about it other than it's left me with some stories to tell. Yeah. But I think it's also influenced. It's influenced my, my academic thinking. Mm -hmm. I actually saw Joe McCarthy in action. Wow. Hmm. I actually saw Bobby Kennedy in action. Um, I shook Dwight Eisenhower's hand at my graduation at GW. He was a graduation speaker, and I was at the end of the aisle, and he came by and lifted his hand. And, wow. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, well, like I was saying, the, the paradigm was so different back then that dying for your country actually seemed important. Um, well, it hasn't it for anybody your age. No, I mean, did you? Would you want to go over and die for your country for Vietnam? No, absolutely not. And 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 the stuff that they've been doing with the military uh, in the Middle East is asinine. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is asinine. It is. And what are we fighting for? And what are we? Yeah, and all those people that have that have lost their lives on the middle of the desert for what reason? I don't know. I don't either. But, it but, all has but, to do with, uh, I don't, like, some sought-after power that, like, is ungraspable. I, I, have, I have no, I have no idea. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will say this. In my time working in the Pentagon, which I came back, I, I did a stint in the Office of the Secretary of Defense. Uh, I, now the Navy is different, I'm mm -hmm. sure, than uh, most of the uh, Army and Air Force. But my experience with uh, those three services, I was I was in the Resources Branch, which is essentially putting together the budget. Mm -hmm. And so, my year there, 
uh, I was dealing with all three service branches because we were uh, the Secretary of Defense's budget people. Hmm. They had to deal with us. What we what we approved went to the went to the uh, uh, Office of Management Management Budget. Went to the President. Went to the Congress. And so we we would hold these reviews, and uh, and we we would review their budgets, and then we, we would make calls about what we're gonna do with their budget, and and it was a fascinating year for me because I knew how to do that because I'd done that with the Polaris program earlier on, but uh, I had not worked in the secretary's office before, and it was just Secretary of Defense was right around the corner. Um, and what, what, I did, what I did not see uh, the whole time I was back there uh, was much in the way of what you would call militarism, mm. from the military. I was in an office with a guy named Ed Snyder. Snyder at the time was a Navy captain. Mm -hmm. He was on his way to become admiral. He, 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 he commanded the Missouri when they took it out of mothballs. And Ed was uh, number one. He, he worked for the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for Research and Development, a guy named Robert Frosch. And, and we were working with him because what we, what we had was a whole lot of undersea uh, R&D programs, and, and he was an ally. Mm. And, and I remember being in a meeting with that, and there was a map on his wall of Southeast Asia in mm -hmm. his office. And I remember, and he had an office in the Pentagon, and we were over, me and John Craven, who I worked for, we were over there in his office that day. And I can't remember how the subject came up, but I do remember this. I remember Snyder getting up from his seat, walking over to that map, and pointing a finger at Vietnam and turning and saying, we are kidding ourselves. I didn't see, I didn't see anybody in the military hmm. that really wanted that to happen. I didn't, it, nobody I saw, uh, most of them saw, th thought it was stupid. And, and, and what was stupid during the Cold War was even stupider what, what we're doing over there now. I mean, the, how would you like to have a son lose his life in, in, a, in an Arab desert for absolutely no reason whatsoever? I, I wouldn't. Yeah. But they are. I can't imagine. I know. I know. I know. And, and I, I, don't, I don't... But I didn't... Interestingly, I, I did not see... <clears throat> now, keep in mind, most of the Navy... Uh, naval officers I worked with were submariners, most of them, mm -hmm. and most of them had Korean. They had uh, Korean War. They had experience during the late years of World War II, and then you move into the Cold War and it, it changes things. But I, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't remember any any anybody. I didn't work around any Curtis LeMays. Hmm. The naval officers I knew were all uh, very professional and, if anything, cautious. 
Hmm. Now maybe. Maybe that's why they were in the Pentagon and not. Well, elsewhere. yeah, but the guy, the guy, the my, I worked for a, a, two Navy captains, Paul Lacey and and uh, Robert Long, and and Long was one of these guys that you 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 could tell was a comer. I mean, he was going to go places, and he did. Uh, he became he became an admiral, and he he. Uh, was really highly regarded uh, when uh, when Reagan ordered up the, the, the whole Lebanon fiasco. Yeah, that was all Reagan's fault, you know. And nobody in the military wanted to do that. Yeah, um, his his defense secretary Casper Weinberger said it was a stupid idea. His secretary of state Charles Schultz said it was a stupid idea. And Reagan went ahead with it anyway. Yeah. And that's and and that's and so anyway, when they had the when they had the uh, um, the investigation of what happened, by this time Long was retired. He'd he'd retired. He'd been commander in chief Pacific Forces, and then he'd retired from that post. So he was out of the Navy. Well, the Reagan administration asked him to come back, and supervise the. The 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 study evaluation of what went wrong at that airport. Mm -hmm. Why did we we lost what was it? Two hundred servicemen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. What went wrong? And so Long was the one that headed that up. Uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, he was really he was really bright. He 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 captained. a nuclear submarine when he was a captain, and then he came to our office, and and I worked for him for over a year. But, but uh, the the long commission pretty much pointed out what went wrong. It was a it was a the, the command structure the 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 marine colonel that was running that show. Because Reagan didn't want to show, he didn't want this to be a military show of force. Yeah. So he didn't. He didn't even let those guys have loaded guns. Oh. The the guys that were on guard, they didn't have loaded guns. Wow. And then comes this guy with carrying this whole truckload of bombs, and 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 uh, it was just terrible. And then Reagan, then Reagan compounds the problem by he's going to bomb the hell out of uh, he's going to show them. So so they start bombing uh, Lebanon. Yeah. He's bombing people that had nothing to do with that raid. Yeah. The, the, uh, you, you think back at this stuff and you, you shake your head. And 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 I would say this that most of the naval officers I knew were shaking their head at the time. They weren't behind this. Hmm. I saw this, uh, <laughs> the services, the four services, they all have their own individual cultures. Yeah. And I, I was privileged to work with all four of them. And you see the differences in these budget hearings that we ran. Um, the, 
They're all very different. The, the Navy, well, let me, let me back up. First of all, the Air Force. And the Air Force is slick. Yeah. I never talked to a single Air Force officer above the rank of colonel. And what you know about the Air Force is they were all lying through their teeth, but they were so good at it. <laughs> they were so good at it. Mm -hmm. You'd say to the Air Force, now, Colonel Holt, we need, a, we need an answer to this question, blah, blah, blah. He'd come in the next day with a fully color-coded... I don't know how they pulled it off. And you knew they were lying, too. Oh, the, Air, yeah. the Air Force is good at lying. The, well, but sure, all the UFO stuff they've been lying about but, forever. But they're so stylish. <laughs> <laughs> the Army are the poor souls. We were going, we were going to make... We're trying to save money, right? So we were going to make the army do joint advertising with the other services, and and you remember they they did for a time. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Those are the, those are the commercials. Oh, that came out of a decision we made. And I get this 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 army uh, a captain, a young captain, and he came into my office, and he says. Mr. Harrell, he says, you know, this is this this decision you're about to make on we want to join advertising. We wanted them to advertise jointly. Yeah. We could save a lot of money if we did that. The army guy comes in. Nice, nice young captain. Nice guy. He says, Mr. Harold, he says, if you make us jointly advertise, I don't know. He says, I what do we do? He says, that the Navy has the dawn launch in the China Sea. <laughs> this was before the Army had be all you can be. Mm -hmm. they, this was before that. So the Navy, the Air Force never had any trouble making any of its uh, quotas. They play soft, melodic music and bingo. And then the Marine Corps, uh, The Marine Corps is another story. The Marine Corps, the Marine Corps, I'll tell you a story about the Marine Corps, but the Army, this guy comes in, this captain, and he says, uh, Mr. Harold, if you, if you make us jointly advertise with the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, I mean, the, Ar the Navy and the Air Force, uh, I, 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 they, they've always had trouble meeting their, 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 their enlistment quotas, which is why they... They bring in so many unsavory people because they can't get them any other way. They, they have to lower. <clears throat> so this guy says, Mr. Harold, here's our problem. <laughs> we have quotas that we're supposed to meet every year. and We try hard, uh, but we're having trouble meeting them. And, and this joint advertising could make things a lot more difficult for us. I said, how's that? Well, he says, look, he says, the, the Air Force... They don't even have to work at it. He says they, they, they play melodic music and they show jets flying off. And the Navy has the dawn launch in the China Sea, and, and the Marine Corps is the Marine Corps, you know, a few good men. He says, what are we supposed to come up with? Join the Na join the army and dig a latrine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we gave up. We we said okay, on the basis of that. We'll allow the army to to go its own way, and and uh, and but we're going to have joint advertising other services. And we had it for about three years, and then of course they 
got what they wanted. So now they all have. That was funny. Mm. I and 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 the and the the sir the. I only saw the one. The Marines are 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 you know they're a culture unto themselves. Yeah. They're not like any other service branch. I'm sitting at a at a budget meeting, and my colleague. Uh, John O'Neill is sitting. He's he's examining this budget. This Marine. It, we, it was a Marine <coughs> colonel who didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. The Marines hate DC duty. They want to be out kicking ass somewhere. Yeah. They they, they want to be in the trenches. This whole business of being behind a desk just pisses them off. So they they can't stand it. And so he was getting red in the face. And I remember John, John was just trying, it was a fair question, he was trying to find out why it was that the Marines were buying pretty much what the Army was buying, but costing a lot more. And he was pressing this Army colonel on this, and you could see the guy was getting redder and redder, and he hated being in D.C. anyway, and now he's got this feather duster and he grabbed and I'm sitting there watching this and he grabbed the end of his table and he rose up with his chin out when when the colonel when when John, when John was saying why is it why are you spending much more money than the army to do exactly the same thing and I'm not kidding you I'm not this is no exaggeration jaw, jaw out red in the face comes out of his seat leans over the table and he says because we're trained killers that's why <laughs> That's the Marine Corps. <laughs> they, I lived where we, where I lived in D.C. There was a gay bar down at the end of our block. We were, we, we were right on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And the Marines, feel good men. <clears throat> those guys burst into that gay bar and beat the hell out of everybody in the gay bar. And the next morning, they had a big sign up on the top of the building. It was a few good men. Uh, commercial, you know? Yeah. And somebody had climbed up there that night with a spray can of paint. And underneath the Marines looking for a few good men, somebody had spray painted in a lot of assholes. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, I, 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 enjoyed, I, I enjoyed my time in D.C. I enjoyed my time in the Pentagon. Um, I learned a lot. And all of that, somehow, I'm sure, in answer to your broader question, is is is, is imprinted, isn't yeah. it? Don't you think? Most definitely. Totally. Well, actually, I think all of what you're saying leads into the next question. All right, fire um, and fall yeah. back, as they say. Where does your inspiration come from? Well, that's an interesting question. Well, uh... Sergeant Preston was, was some in, inspiration Sergeant for your dog racing or your Well, I, I don't think there's any particular place. I, I think some people, I, I'm, I, get a, I get a kick out of observing, mm-hmm. I think. And I think I'm reasonably good at analysis. And I think I, and I think that I'm, uh, I try to be a, sort of aware of what's happening. 
Um, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't, but not much now. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, and I come out of a Navy family. And most of the stuff I've done is, is one way or another plays back into that. I, 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 I used to have my dad check stuff I wrote, and he, he was a lot of help. Hmm. Um, um, and I'm sure that everybody has a similar story. I mean, uh, you know, the well, do you, do you think that the military or just the military idea was inspiring to you? Or do you think it was just because it was ingrained in you? Oh, no, I think it was just ingrained. I mean, I, my dad was a naval, <coughs> career naval officer, class of 35, United States yeah. Navy. And, uh, and, 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 and I, think, I think for me, because he went to Annapolis, mm-hmm. that, that remains... I remember when he, when uh, my mother died, my mother died, Five years after my dad did, they're both buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Oh, and uh, and so what they do for the people coming in, there there's a there's a visitor center, and in the downstairs in the visitor center there's a place to have, you know, a small kind of gathering. Mm-hmm. Well, when and then there's a Navy publication called Shipmate. And shipmate goes out to all the people who ever graduated from the Naval Academy. Sure. Well, so all of these, I, I go to my mother's event. My dad had been gone for several years. And I see all these guys in, in this downstairs room who I'd never seen before in my life. And uh, who are they? Well, it turns out they were classmates. They didn't know my mother. They didn't know my mother at all. All they knew is that Shipmate had an article that our Wilda Harold, wife of Frank B. Harold, class of 1935 U.S. Naval Academy, died. And there will be an event at at the Arlington National Cemetery. That's all they knew. But they had to be there. They, they, they were morally required for, them, for themselves to be there. And so they were at this event, and, uh, and I was amazed at how good a shape they were in. I mean, there was, most of them were in their late 80s. Uh, but uh, there they were. And so that, that, that that sense of collegiality, which you don't get coming out of ROTC, and you don't get it, but but you come out of the service academies, you do. There's no question about it. Hmm. I mean, we were living at the, the we were living at the Naval Academy, uh, student housing when World War II started. I remember that very clearly. I I I was we were living at a place called Perry Circle. My father was doing graduate work learning about this newfangled invention called radar. And so that morning, December 7, 1941, I, I, I remember I was sitting, so I would have been three, I'm sitting on uh, the floor 
uh, outside the kitchen, and, and, and there were these officers, junior officers, ensigns, lieutenants, in the kitchen. My dad was there. And I remember they were all talking in hushed tones. And that's the first time I remember the word war. And all these guys, and as soon as my father finished his, his uh, graduate program, which was later that spring, he, he shipped, they, they moved us to, to San Diego, that's why we were at La Jolla, and they sent him out to the USS New Mexico, and they were at the Marshall Islands, the Midway, you name it, they were there. Yeah. And we only saw Dad, I think, one time. Uh, until the war ended. I think he was, when the comic, when the battleship was hit by the Kamikaze, they, they had to take it back to San Francisco because we, we didn't have a base in uh, the Philippines. Later on, when the second Kamikaze hit, they just, we had the Philippines and they simply took the ship of the Philippines and took it. But, so he, he, he got a chance to come home for a while. I don't remember seeing him more than one time between 40 42 and 45. Wow. And so, you know, and that, and that event that my mother had uh, tells you something about how deep this camaraderie, you know, particularly amongst those who went to the Naval Academy. I don't think it, I don't think it holds true for anybody else. Hmm. But it's certainly there. And, and it certainly had an, it certainly had a, a indentation on me. I don't know what I've learned from it, really, but but it's the uh, impression is really, really, you know, obviously running pretty deep. Yeah. Wow. That is interesting. I, my my brother-in-law is a commander at West Point. Oh yeah. And I'd love to ask him. Well, I'm sure the same thing at West Point holds. Yeah. Well, I wonder. I mean, I don't know. It might not be the same thing as it was back then, but I bet it's close. Hmm. Didn't have women back then. Yeah, I guess. Or yeah. as my father euphemistically called them, bands, broad-ass midshipmen. Oh boy, <laughs> where would that get you today? Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Hmm. Different time. Well, that's it. I. I mean, I. I'm enjoying your answers. Um, this next question is, uh, I don't think that you're going to have a story about the military from this question. Um, do you feel in control of your life? And uh, what holds you down? Well, I'm scared to death because of Trump. Yeah? Uh, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, I really am. Not just because of policies he's pursuing, but what he's doing to institutions. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm anything, I'm an institutionalist. And he has gone after the various bureaus in, in, in Washington, whether it's, whether it's the military or the, or the Fish and Wildlife Life Service. I mean, he's he's gone after all of them to put some kind of political yet lackey in there, like Barr. Yeah, they'll do exactly what he tells them to do, and that that just when you start destroying institutions, which is what he's doing, 
you run some, I think some run some started running some real risks. And you start you start drumming out. You saw the ambassadors that were brought up before. Those were very very bright, dedicated people. And not only that, but as was pointed out today, uh, some of the people in the Department of Justice had quit today. They they could have been making three times as much. Uh, in private practice, but they chose public service, and uh, and what uh, what Trump is doing is severely damaging that, and and so that that's what worries me, mm. uh, along with the fact that the, that the United States has historically, certainly since the war, had a position in the world that allowed us. To set a tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, other countries would look to the United States to kind of get some signals as to what is appropriate, and and Trump has just taken all that and tossed it. I mean, what he did it, it, to a Ukraine is simply the work of a thief. Mm-hmm. He was selling out his country. To have something on Joe Biden in an election, and that, for any institutionalist like me, uh, I, I'm terrified of that, and I don't see it getting any better. It's even getting worse. The stupidest thing any I, I, I've heard in the last several weeks was that woman from Maine, Susan Collins, who says, "Well, we just thought." Donald Trump would have learned well has learned his lesson, and then the next day she fires all he fires all those career civil servants that had been that had been interrogated that had been that had been questioned that had been part of the that had been that had come up and told what they found. He fired I don't know how many of them, and the stupid woman. I just we just thought he learned his lesson. The man's a psychopath. Hmm. He's, he's, he's evil. I don't know why anybody, I cannot understand why anybody supports him. I mean, I can understand why certain people will take advantage, particularly the wealthy, they've done hugely good, well by him. But are you telling me that Mitt Romney is the only Republican with a soul, with a sense of honor and duty? Apparently so. Apparently so. I mean, there's no question. He never should have been. They should have, they should have booted him. And now he feels empowered, and he's showing it already, and, and he's more empowered now. And it's scary because of what he's doing to the institutions of government. And, and not only that, because of what he's doing in the world, you know, I mean... Uh, he's obviously in bed with the Russians. Does anybody doubt that? Putin is playing him. Putin is playing him like a violin. Yeah. So, yeah. so those those things really worry me. Uh, I, I I really am worried about that. I I <laughs> had they managed to boot him out, um, but they didn't. And I I don't know. I don't know. And these these lackeys, these supplicants, Bill Barr, God, the guy is, is 
awful. Well, and it, it, it might be just as frightening to have Pence be well, Pence, the country. Pence, Pence is a non-starter, that's for sure. But but I, I'm hoping, the only hope I have is that the Democrats somehow figure out well, you take take what happened today on the news. I mean, the news all day long was the New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. It's a small state. Who the fuck cares? And the news of the day was Trump uh, uh, and the people he's drummed out of, what he's done, what he's fired people. And and what, what, he's, what he's letting Bill Barr get away with. I mean, nobody cares about that. I had a friend, a student of mine, Denny Snook, uh, at Eastern, when I taught at Eastern, I was in class. <coughs> and Denny was a hit, the hippie's hippie. I mean, he really, truly was. He, he ran a, the whole time he was, uh, he, he'd, he'd been off, off and on, he'd been reinstated six times, which I think is record setting out there. <laughs> Denny, Denny was a piece of work. He uh, he came back to school. A couple of good Denny Snook, Snook stories. He uh, he uh, when he was the hippie hippie, he was out doing whatever hippie hippies did in the seventies, and Foley had gotten elected. Mm-hmm. And Denny had never met Foley. So when he was wandering through here, he decided to go see him. He wanted to see him meet his congressman. So Foley's in town, and Denny came in, and, and uh, somehow he managed to get back to the office, and, and uh, he had this long talk with Foley. Told him what he was doing, and and so Tom said, well, Denny, uh, what you're doing is valuable. He says, when you, when you get back, I'd like you to tell me what you found out. So the years go by, years go by, years go by. And Denny graduated from Eastern after being arrested for stealing an army jeep. <laughs> which, was, which was a piece of work. You know where the... Uh, you know, National Guard Armory is? Yeah. Where it used to be, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, Denny, Denny was, he liked nice cars. He was driving this <clears throat> somewhat dated uh, what was it? Give me a British, give me a name of a British mm, MG. Oh, okay. He was driving an MG. The blue MG. And they're coming down the street there. Was that and it's on what first street? Sure. And and they see this jeep, this jeep that's that's sitting out there outside the National Guard Army, unattended, with a recoilless rifle on the back. Oh my gosh! So Denny, being Denny, they pull over his friends there, and they're looking at that. And Denny said, "Should I do this?" <laughs> <laughs> his friends, I don't know. Denny gets out. And the Jeep's engine's running, but there's nobody watching it. So Denny jumps into the Jeep and steals the Jeep. <laughs> and he drives the Jeep downtown. Well, 
it, I was remember the day that happened because the, the news came out that the hippies <laughs> had taken over Havermail Island and they now have a jeep with a recordless rifle and pretty soon we're going to be under fire. Well, D Denny, Denny didn't drive it all that far. He actually reparked it. But by that time, they're on to him and his wife was working. His wife had a job in the federal building. And she, and she came out, Denny was supposed to pick her up after work, and she came up to came out to the front door there, the federal building, to see her husband spread eagle <laughs> with cuffs on, and well, Denny being Denny pleaded innocent, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and he said, and and the and the and the and the <laughs> and and I don't know what what was going to happen until this the finding of the news broke that the reason that the Jeep was unattended was that the, uh, the army officer who was supposed to be tending it was seeing a prostitute across the oh street. Oh my gosh! <laughs> In the upper floor of one of those buildings across the street. <laughs> and at that time, they, they just dropped the case. <laughs> oh Forget my him. goodness. Yeah, he was, he was seeing him. This, Anyway, so do you, so, do you so tell Denny, Tom Foley that story? <laughs> well, Denny, Denny tells this story about the Tom Foley. Years went by. Years went by. He'd only seen Tom one time. Mm -hmm. And so he, he goes back to D.C. And he's now got a job. He got a job in D.C. when He got, he got a master's degree at uh, uh, Claremont. And so he's got this degree. So he goes back, and he hadn't seen Tom in all these years. It had to have been t 10 or 12, maybe, maybe more. Mm -hmm. And Foley, but at that time, was, was uh, Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House. So t then he goes into the, uh, goes into the office, and the secretary's there, and, and he asks, is the speaker available? And she says, well, he's got a full schedule. Well, Foley's in the back room, and he, but he can see. And this is after 12 years. He's never, ever seen Tom and met him. He sees, and, he, and Foley st st waves, and he says to the sucker, send him back. So Denny <laughs> goes back to, the, to, the, to see Tom Foley after all of these years. And the first words out of Foley's mouth were, so Denny, what'd you find out? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, back to the <laughs> back to the back to the broader subject. Denny went back to D.C. He got a job with the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, well, first thing he did, the first thing he did was he applied for a job. They were doing a, they were doing a, a budget. A, I mean, a ta tax reform. And uh, and Denny. Walks in unannounced, has no, has yeah, has absolutely no ties or anything. He walks in and they ask him, "What are you doing here?" He said, "I've come for a job." And uh, they said, "Well, uh, what is your background?" And he said, "Well, he said I have a PhD in philosophy from Claremont College." Oh, they said, uh, "We're all economists around here," and Denny, being Denny, said. 
I know you're all economists, brother, and that's why you should hire me, because I'll ask questions that you economists won't ask. And they thought about that, they said, you know, he's got a point, and they've hired him on the spot. What? Hired him on the spot. And then he got a better job or offer with a congressional budget office, and uh, he went up there. But the point is, when Kerry lost in, two, when was it, 2000? Yeah, ish. That's when Denny retired, took early retirement. And I talked to him about this, about why did you, they were still in D.C. for a while, and, mm -hmm. I, and I talked to him about, well, why did you take early retirement? He says, because, Bobby, he says, he said, you know, I, I worked in, the, in the, my role in this congressional budget office. I, I worked, for, worked with Republicans and Democrats. I do a really good job of that. And, they, and, and it was highly appreciated. Foley said he was probably one of the most respected analysts they had. Hmm. But he says the, the Republicans that came in after Kerry's loss, he says they're a different breed. He said the people that I respected and who I worked with, regardless of party, uh, they were people who respected institutions. They respected uh, the, the, the task at hand. Uh, but he says this bunch doesn't care. He says they, 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 they're here because it's an easy ticket to make money on the lecture tour. Uh, they're going to do what they're told. He says they, they have absolutely zero uh, uh, integrity. Well, that was clear at the Senate. And he says, I can't work with people like this. And so he quit. Those lives down in Arizona now. Hmm. But that's these people. That's that's what scares me. You've got an entire Congress, the Republican Party. I mean, how could anybody watch that? And you can see Adam Schiff doing this very careful, thoughtful. And then you get these Republicans. They're just you know, they're just thugs and and. It's an easy way to make a buck, and and and, and I, I just I'm, I'm, they they frighten me because they because of their assault on institutions. Well, I mean, I do you do you believe though that all of these the political things that are going on really have like a a control in your life? Yes. Hmm. For example, uh, uh, I was strongly critical of Obama. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim, Tim at the time was a student, undergraduate at the UW. Mm -hmm. And Timothy worked for Obama. He, he worked in the campaign. Mm -hmm. Not only that, he figured out a way to get back to the inauguration. He was there for that. He was a real believer. But the minute Obama, and I can understand his problem. Uh, I think he 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 really he had he had to make a call, and the call he, he had to make was he had to choose between he had to choose between dealing directly with the state of people like my son or you, mm -hmm. or bailing the bankers out. Yeah. And he decided to bail the bankers out and leave you guys swinging in the wind. Tim, Tim, uh, 
um, when he was at the UW, Obama was campaigning down at the uh, arena. He, he was down there at five in the morning so that he could get in. Next time Obama showed up, when he, he was in office, he came to town, nobody cared. He, 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 he caved to the advice of people who wanted the bankers. And I can understand. They thought that the country would be best served if we bailed the banks out. But that meant that everybody, instead of dealing with the student loan problem, mm -hmm. instead of dealing with what's happening to kids coming out of school, the employment problem, instead of dealing with any of that, what he did was he simply abandoned them. And I wrote a long letter to Axelrod, because I could see this happening. And I wrote a long letter to Axelrod. I said, you know, uh, these are people, these are the people that got you elected. And, you, and, and Obama's just walked away from them. And I don't think if you sat Obama down, he would take necessarily issue with that. He would say that he had a very difficult choice to make, mm -hmm. and he made it to save the banks. Which he did, but he sacrificed your whole generation, hmm. all of you. You know, if you if you if you went to law school, or went to a good med school, or if you had some sort of a tech skill, you're all right. But anything else, you're not. Uh, Allie was in the other day. Were you there when she showed up? Yeah. Well, she still owes a lot of money. Over a hundred grand. She went to a really expensive school. Well, she went to she went well she went to uh, Chicago Art well, Institute. The Chicago, well, that, that she she graduated from Loyola <clears throat> Chicago, mm -hmm. and then she went to the Chicago Art Institute, which is a really high and that is the that is the top two art institutes in the country. Yeah, she's still paying it up. I I I was shocked that she still owes. Over a hundred grand to that. It's not going to get any better. No, it's not going to get any better. I wonder who her loan um, is through. And think of the interest that she's paying. That was the other thing that pissed me off when I wrote Axelrod. I said, how in the hell, how in the hell is it that the, the students of this generation, your generation, Tim's generation, can't write that interest off and all the bankers can all the businessmen can. Yeah, I mean that question was never answered, never has been answered. And if you want to piss, and I'm sure, I mean, this still gets me pissed off as a father who was trying to help my son out. It and it and and, and I just think it's horrible. It is. They they stuck the, your entire generation, the millennials, and oh, and then what happens is. You, you come along, and I was dealing this when I was teaching at Gonzaga. You, you come along with, with, with the, the, gender, the, the baby boomers, and they're bad-mouthing the millennials. The baby boomers came back from the war. They got GI... My, my, my brother, John, who was, a, who was a baby boomer, he was born in the 40s, he was born in 46, 47. Isn't that a baby boomer? Yeah. Early baby boomer. Well, John has a GI Bill. Now, his service to the Army 
consisted of breaking up bar fights in Korea. That's it. And for that, when he comes back and gets married, he's, he has a GI loan on a house. Right? Yeah. He, he, he gets a he gets cut rate on all kinds of other goodies mm. and, and, and 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 then the baby boomers come along and they're criticizing your generation for you know crying your beer and I could just brain them I have I've, I've had a number of pointed contacts with some of these people and it pisses me off because I'm, I'm the father of a millennial and I know what's happened mm -hmm. what's happened to you and, and 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 or everybody everybody works in the in the food industry. Yeah, Allie is a gifted woman. She is. You can't find a place in the society that she can do anything, but what she's doing to pay, and she still owe. How how many years has that gal been paying off these loans? Ten. Ten. Yeah. And it's I mean not and, he's st and, he, and she still longer. and she still owes a bundle. Yeah. You know? So I, I, you know, I, I, uh, anyway, Axelrod never got back to me. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> well, ah, gosh, that, that is an, that's an awesome perspective. I, so, yeah, I mean, I think that is a strong case saying that this political stuff really does control our but, lives. Whenever I, whenever I, whenever I, Whenever I see interest on these student loans, it just froths me. Oh, yeah. I'm in the middle of it, too. It's just absolutely... It's mind-boggling. Yeah. I know. I know, and I don't know how to... Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. It, depending upon what your earned income is, you may be paying on it forever. The rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, I know. I ju I actually just watched a thing. There, there's a Netflix show um, called the the Patriot Act. Have you heard about that show? No. It's really interesting, and he it's a it's basically a comedian that is doing like political issues and things. Yeah. And and he had an episode about the problem with school, student loans. And, and in particular, like, the loan companies. Um, and they are pure evil. They're evil. Pure evil. Like, they are... They literally will talk to people on the phone and say, sorry if you have to move out of your house. We're not changing anything. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and if... And if well. Yeah, it's horrible. I, and it, do, it just doesn't seem like there's a... There's a real answer coming anytime soon well but, maybe it depends maybe if you elect the right person but, but you've got to be willing and this is this has always bothered me about Biden because the, the home of the credit card world is Delaware yeah yeah actually I had a conversation with Tim about that you did particularly he's a he hates Joe Biden well that's why <clears throat> Joe Biden is the one he blames for the fact that you're still paying off student loans. I know. He told me all about it. Well. Yeah. Know. Well, 
Anyway, let's get on to the next question. Okay. We're going yeah. to take a left turn. Okay. Um, and this one. What have you done that is truly wrong? And can something be truly wrong? Well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a number of things that were truly wrong. Uh, I mean, I have to. I and and it's not like I want you to incriminate yourself or anything. No, I, I think marriage is difficult. <laughs> Jeez. Well, yes, that is definitely true. Yeah, you do the best you can. Yeah. <laughs> I. I I don't want to say anything beyond that. <laughs> I think I'll leave it right there. <laughs> you know, I think... I stole an old Nick candy bar from the corner grocery store when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there's all sorts of things I could, I could list. Well, that's not truly wrong. That's, that's a... That's a lesson learned, and you didn't cause harm to someone for the no, no, sake of causing harm. Or I'm sure I've done things along the way that hurt my wife, and I didn't mean to. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Gosh, like to I mean today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a day go by when I don't do that. I have a theory about this, by the way. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of women's basketball, as you know. I do know. And Gonzaga, and I've gone to every women's game for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so when they went down to play uh, St. Mary's the other day, mm -hmm. well, they'd beaten them by 30 points up here. And I thought, you know, that's going to be a blowout. And they lose the game. They actually lose the game. What the hell? What happened? The only thing that I can figure out that happened was that Katie Campbell, who was their best guard, uh, was badly injured mm -hmm. in the BYU game with four minutes to play. And it was a knee injury. And it was such a bad knee injury that just prior to the game at St. Mary's, it was determined that she she's not coming back this year, and she's a senior, so she's gone. But Katie's not just the best three-point shooter they got, she was the best defender they had, uh, and she just has sparkling personality. So I'm thinking to myself, is it conceivable that to some extent what happened to the girls, and, and Katie's, Katie's injury had to have affected. You don't beat a team by 30 points and then lose by 10 without something being weird. Yeah. And the only thing I can think about that was weird was losing Katie Campbell. Psychosomatic. Well, it's, my theory is that women in general this is just a half-assed, off-the-corner, street-corner. 
that you, that women, by and large, are more empathetic than men. I, I believe that that is 100% true. And because of that, they take loss uh, in ways that men just have, have a tendency to shove off. Mm-hmm. And they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so my theory is that when those girls went down there to play St. Mary's, they were still mourning Katie Kennedy. And they could not play a good game. Now we'll see how good my theory is uh, this Friday night. Well, actually tomorrow night when they play, uh, they play a team, well, they play a game up here. But I, 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 I think I'm right. I, I think those girls were just so... I mean, the Worth sisters, uh, Leanne and, and, and uh, uh, Jen Worth, they're twins, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're two of the highest scoring players on the team. They didn't score a point. Hmm. Not a point. Um, and so, how do you explain that? Um, I know that uh, that, that, that the, who's the famous coach of the Connecticut team? Oh, I don't remember her name. It's a he. Oh, they've got a male coach. Oh. And he, he, he was, he was interviewed by, they interviewed one of his former players, who now is playing for Seattle. And she talked about Gino Mariama, Mariama is his name, Gino Mariama. And she said, she said, and she played for Gino four years at Connecticut. And yeah, she it was a, it was a ride, it was a treat. But but she said, let me tell you about Gino. <laughs> she this was not said acrimoniously; it was said matter of factly. She said, uh, "We're having a bad practice." G- Gino stops the practice. His girls come over here. He says, uh, "Now, uh, this is really bad." We gotta fix this before the game. Now, if memory serves, it was about the same time last month that we had a really bad practice. <laughs> now he says, "I gotta tell you, if you check the schedule, the NCAA tournament is about the same time of the month." I know, but you just gotta play through it. You know. I, I don't really care. You got, and and she was laughing about it. Uh, Renee Montgomery is her name, and she said that man has no idea what we go through, but he doesn't care. <laughs> he wants us out there playing. So was that it? I don't think so because the whole team went down. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than other than Jesse Luetta, she played well, but I mean they played like crap, particularly in the first quarter. Uh, they were down something like 15 points at the end of the first quarter. And this was a team that beat them by 30 points the last time they played. What has changed? What has happened? What's happened is that Katie Campbell uh, is, went down hurt and couldn't play. Uh, it's just a half-baked theory, but which would raise eyebrows in certain circles. But 
I think it has something to do with it. I think women are simply by nature more empathetic. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And, and so, so for that reason, something like Katie Campbell, what happened to her, it was grotesque. I, where, where, why, I looked right down on it. I could see it happen. Had to have taken a toll. Mm-hmm. Now we'll see how they how they play tomorrow night. We'll see what happens tomorrow night. I hope they play better because uh, I mean they they only they'd only lost one game. Yeah, Stanford that was an overtime. And I don't think it was a Gina Mariana explanation. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know what that has to do with what things. question was it? <laughs> Have you ever done anything truly wrong? <laughs> well, I've done several things truly wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where that story came from out of that though. <laughs> I don't even know what the segue was. <laughs> well, I, I think that's all right. Um, well, this in this next question is is an interesting one, and I, I'm really curious of how you're gonna handle it. Um, what is your opinion about the natural hierarchical order in reference to humanity? What do you mean? Well, um, about in humanity. What do you what do you think about how our natural inclination as humans to form hierarchies in somewhere or another? Like what what do you think is behind that, or do you think that that is actually like a natural thing that humans do? Um, and you know, if so, like how does it play out? What does it look like? Just you think you're talking about hierarchy. I'm talking about specifically. Specifically, I mean, I don't know how specific per se, because hierarchy can can be, you know, thought of in in different ways. Well, I think uh, <clears throat> I would, and again, this is, I'm no anthropologist, but I I would think that it has something to do with. Has something to do with uh, um, culture. Okay, and and I do actually think that I brought that up with a, a lot of other people, and I well, I mean I called it cultural relativism, um, but I don't I don't know if that's well, exactly I, I just what think it that, is. I just think that I mean, um, for example, take women and leadership roles. Yes. And why is the United States behind every other country in the Western world? That's what I want to know. That, I mean, that is why I'm asking this question. Like our current, the, our current societal views and things with like, I mean, I, I, I guess it's hierarchy, you know, specifically with women or um, any, any gender things, any racial things, like all, all of that is, plays into this, I think. Well, sure, and, and you're seeing it e- even in, in this election cycle. I mean, when you think about it, how many countries in the world have had 
have had women leaders. A bunch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't, India, can't answer that. Israel, uh, South America, England, sure. France, but not the United States. Not the United States. And the question that, that I have is why? I don't know the answer to that. Do you? No, I have no idea. I don't know how this was... In, I, I've, I've talked to so many people about how this was ingrained into every generation. I, in, in maybe, maybe this new millennial generation, when we come around, things will change. But I don't know, because it seems like it seems like the rich are really governing things when it comes down to it. And well, that's another aspect of this, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm no conspiracy theorist or whatever, but, you know, there's, there's like this elite rich group that comes together and supposedly they rule everything and make all of these decisions and everything comes from that or whatever, you know. <coughs> Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's real, you know, it's very conspiracy uh, theorist, and and I don't think that's going to change because of a new generation, because like, you know, one generation ties off and there's an automatic paradigm shift, I don't think that that's going to be the case, I still think that it's it's ingrained, it's like I a, think that, you know, it's a tradition or something. Interestingly enough, in an odd kind of way. Mm-hmm. The military has done more to break that down than anybody else. What do you mean? Well, they're simply the fact that they're promoting women to the to flag rank. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it is true that the, are they how many how many generals are women? A number, I think, and and I know that there are a number of admirals. No kidding. Yeah, I did not know that. But 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 here's the thing. The, the, the other side of that coin is that that um, they're also you're also saying women promoted uh, to uh, executive positions in corporate America. That is definitely true. I, I actually listened to a, a podcast I listened to a Freakonomics podcast. Uh-huh. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. do you remember that book? Yeah. Um, so I the, the particular episode that he was talking about how uh, women are bumped up into CEO positions, th- that tends to be when the company is on the downfall. And that is when women are put into these high leadership positions for some odd reason. And I don't know if it's like this, you know, let's give them a chance since the, com- the ship's going down, let them you know, have their day or whatever. And I don't know if that is the case, but that seems to be like from these economists' perspective what what is happening. And clearly that's horrible. It's not giving them a chance to to do anything except, you know, try to clean up odds and ends if possible at all. Um and I, I think part of it, part of it, is simply uh, 
maybe part of it is simply um, your empathy theory. No, no. Well, I think uh, I well, the, the, dealing with the question you raised, which which doesn't really go to that, not directly. Mm -hmm. um, it's it it strikes me, and I'm just curious about the fact that so many women CEOs have been made CEOs with a company in bad shape, or that 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 kind of unlike what you see in other countries. I mean, I mean, the the, the national the World Monetary Fund was was run successfully by women for a number of years. Uh, so wh why is that not more general? And I don't know. I I I, I just find some of it is just this latent American sexism. It's systemic. I think it's systemic. That's why what's happening in sport is in its own odd way doing a number of things, I think, to change that. For, for, for example, most, about 25 years ago, the late Pat Summit, who was the women's famous women's coach at Tennessee. Mm -hmm. She was the first to introduce uh, men's uh, practice players to have her girls play against males every day. Cool. And now it's been picked up. And so Gonzaga, those girls are out there playing with, playing against guys who um, had really good high school careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they probably weren't going to play ball at the at the college level, and those and those and I've watched them, and those guys are not they're not pulling any punches. I mean, this is this is just you, you know it's really it's fun to watch because the girls are playing better than the girls know if they can score against these guys, they can score against anybody. Mm -hmm. Now this is happening all over the country now. But they're you're they're the these places good with the good basketball teams are they're using male uh, practice squads. Wow, right on. And and I have to think that that sort of thing. Uh, I'm just it's just my way of saying I think sport in its own odd way um, is starting to is starting to. See, the, the, the thing about it is the girls will say, we're not as strong as they are, we're not as big as they are, we're not as fast as they are. They know that. It's start, you start with that. Mm -hmm. But where do you go from there? And, and they don't want those guys to let up on them, and they don't. I've seen them. Uh, they're mixing it up under the basket like you won't believe. Um, but oddly enough, in other aspects of life, I, I don't. I don't see this mix as much. I don't know. Maybe it's there, but uh, do you? Yeah. No, definitely not in business. Not in business. No, I don't see it. Uh, I, I think. I, I think. Mar I think. I think. Well, I, the evidence is pretty strong. I mean, you, when you look at that map, you could point 
around all of those countries that have had female leadership, leadership, except the United States. Yeah, the most powerful country in the world, except except the United States. And I, it's it's ingrained. And then when you when you start watching them, there's there are a number of these documentaries on. Um, Line about World War Two, mm-hmm. and the role that women played in building those weapons, stabilizing they, our country. They did the a whole thing. They did a whole thing the other night. There's a it, it's a fascinating program. It's about the the Spitfire, mm-hmm. which saved England. Yeah, you were talking about and that. The, and the, and women were were flying those planes. They were flying those planes not in combat, but they were. Ferrying them, they were flying them uh, to check them out. They Test were, flights and things. Yeah. yeah, and so, so, but not here. Hmm. And I and I've often thought that I, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's very odd. I mean, you if you, you can see it in tennis too. I mean, there's no way that a woman's going to compete with. Novak Djokovic, he he, yeah. he he beat Serena Williams in straight sets, even when she was younger. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that the women aren't holding their own up to a point. Oh yeah, and 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 for some reason, we have a harder time recognizing. I, I honestly think if you check carefully, you would. I, I've not got no way of proving this. It's just in watching at GU, both the men and the women, that women by and large are better foul shooters. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, women are better jump shooters and outside shooters than men, totally. No. Because <clears throat> men are. They want to show off. They want to well, be masculine. It. They want to be under the net. And that's one reason why I really enjoy watching the women play, because they're not. They are working more as a unit. Yeah, it's not ego. It's not ego. Yeah. No, I agree. Hmm. So that's not an answer to your question, but it's you know. No, it is. I mean, the question is just what's your opinion. So yeah, you, well, that that is an answer. All right. Well, um, this is the last question. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. We'll see. No. This one is a little more lighthearted. Uh, huh? What is your theme song? My theme song? If you could pick a song, what would be your theme song? My theme song? That's a very interesting question. I've never <laughs> given that the slightest... Thought. I I am I'm sure you have a theme song. Do I have a theme song? Is there a song that you can think of that's just like that really encapsulates me? God. <laughs> Is it a Taylor Swift song? Yeah. <laughs> no. I've never given that any thought. I've... No, it's okay. My theme song. And if you don't have an answer, that's totally fine. I I understand. Um <laughs> But I just thought maybe... I'd have to think about that. 
right. I'm sure I could come up with one. Mm-hmm. I gave it some serious thought for a little no. while. It doesn't really Do matter. Do you have one? Sadly, no. No. My, my opinion about music is too broad. I can't, I can't, I couldn't just, I mean, I couldn't even tell you, like, what my favorite song is, or my favorite band, or any, it's just, music is so important to me in so many different aspects of it, uh-huh. that on different days, I'll have different songs that really touch me, or something, but I can't, I, I can never say it, and that's why I ask, because this is, this is such a difficult question for me, because music is very important to me, um, but some people do. They have like Really? Totally. This song, right? Yeah. And Which ones what have you heard? Um, I mean a, a lot a lot of different things. I have eighteen different episodes right now, so um I don't know. I I I couldn't tell you. But some people have have really thought about this ahead of time and 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 really had like a and distinct a answer. Point. Yeah. Um <clears throat> For the most part, though, it just seems like that people will say, this song just really resonates with me right now in this part of my life. And, oh, and that's, that's cool. That's a good answer. Yeah. And, and that, that happens to me, too, but that song changes all the time. So um, it's fine if you don't have an answer. I just was curious if anything came to your mind. Hmm. But it's okay if it doesn't. I appreciate all your other answers. They were really entertaining and great perspective. Um, I mean, I love, I love hearing your stories, Bob. And well, and I appreciate you doing this. Thank oh, you. Oh, well, you're more than welcome. Yeah. So I'll I'll give this theme song some thought. Well, it's okay. I mean. I won't be able to come back and put it back I on. I understand so. that. <laughs> but so how many of these do you have? <clears throat> Year number 19. Wow. Yeah. So. How many more are you going to do? I don't know. I, I don't really have an en- ending point. <laughs> but thank you. You're more than welcome. <laughs>